Amen. Thanks, Dave. Band, awesome job. Thank you guys so much. Um, yeah, there you go. You jumped into that prayer and didn't give him time to clap for uh, the great job. Um, okay, so what do you do with the mad that you feel? If you're like me, this is a question that you heard a lot growing up, not necessarily from parents, not necessarily from teachers, but from Fred Rogers through a TV. Mrs. Rogers' neighborhood was based in the idea that Fred Rogers wanted to help kids deal with their emotions in healthy ways, right? And because he was a Presbyterian minister, he wanted to help kids deal with their emotions in godly ways. I was listening to a podcast about Mr. Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on my last road trip, and they brought that question up. What do you do with the mad that you feel? And someone who was on the podcast actually gave an answer to it. I thought it was kind of profound. What do you do with the mad you feel? You give it a job. But what job you give it matters so much and has everything to do with what we're talking about in this series. What we're talking about is the things we do and the things we leave undone impacting the kingdom, as we talked about. We can't stop the kingdom from coming, but we can stand in the way of us and others experiencing the kingdom along the way. Jesus' prayer, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, has everything to do with how we answer that question. So today we're going to continue the series. We're going to look at wrath. But before we look at wrath, we have to look at what leads to it, and that's anger. Anger, simply put, is a response to a real or perceived injustice. And this comes from who we're made to be. The Bible tells us in the beginning, right in the beginning of the Bible, if you open the first couple of pages, it says uh, that, that we are made in the image of God. And then it says in the rest of the scriptures, the rest of the entire Bible, that, uh, that God is, is a God of justice. He's a God who sets things right. He's a God who fixes broken things. And so it makes sense if we're made in the image of God and God is the God of justice, that we want to see that lived out in front of us and around us. And so if we hear things like one in three children in sub-Saharan Africa are undernourished, or there are 153 million orphans in the world. Or a statistic like one in every 10 black men in their 30s is in prison or in jail on any given day. Three times uh, more likely than Hispanic males and six times more likely than white males. If you hear something like Orlando ranks dead last in median income, uh, in household median income, meaning that people are working their tails off and can't make ends meet. If you hear that one in five kids in our city has some form of insecurity, food insecurity. If you hear those things and you don't feel some anger about it, I believe there's something wrong with how we see people and what they're worth. And we should desire to be people who care for others and are sure that other people are heard because God has wired us to act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. So this is what we're wired up for. And so we shouldn't ever uh, turn off the holy emotion of anger when the image of God is being marred in the world around us. But Dante says that wrath is love of justice perverted to revenge and spite. And this can happen all around us in so many different ways. It can happen on social media. It can happen in our office, at work. It can happen in our living room, at home. But how does this happen? How does the good desire become pursued wrongly? 
Well, if sloth, what we talked about two weeks ago, is indifference, indifference toward your soul, indifference toward your neighbor, indifference toward the world, indifference toward your God, then wrath is unhealthy passion. It's the other end. But ultimately, that unhealthy passion is for self. Let me explain. In general, I consider myself to be kind of a justice guy. I like things to be right in the world around me. I like to be a part of setting things right wherever I can. And that sounds like a good thing, but the reality is, because I'm kind of a justice guy, I, I, I can get uh, upset over the most trivial things not being right. The other night, I was uh, cleaning the outside of my refrigerator. It's a stainless steel refrigerator, like I do every night. And uh, I was cleaning the outside of the refrigerator, and I was using the specialty stainless steel wipes because general cleaning supplies would never do, so they leave a residue, and so uh, they're just ew, right? So you have to do the specialty wipes, and so I was doing that, but the reason I have to do that is because my kids apparently like to go roll in the mud, spit on their hands, and then come in and grab the refrigerator, and kind of, it looks like a crime scene by the time I get home every night, and so uh, it, it helps me uh, to just kind of take care of my things. Uh, so I do that every night, and I've come accustomed to that, but the other night, there was a foreign substance, not just the general dirt that my kids kind of splash on the front of the refrigerator. It was something else, and I took two wipes. Not one, two, and they're expensive. The thing only comes with 30 in there, and so, uh, so I'm, I'm wiping it, and I'm, I'm like actually getting upset about that, and, it's, and that upset is actually leading to anger, and if any child would have been around, I would have uh, unleashed a, a speech about justice for the ages, uh, about how you should care for other people's stuff, and you should, and you should uh, focus on what is right, and you should value other people and all of this. It sounds like I'm joking, uh, but I'm not. I got so worked up, I had to go for a run just to cool off because I had to use two specialty wipes to clean the front of the refrigerator. That's ridiculous. Thomas Aquinas, the 13th century theologian, said, anger is the ally of justice and courage, but only if it follows a, follows a reasonable judgment of what is right. I'm going to say that again. Anger is the ally of justice and courage, but only if it follows a reasonable judgment of what is right. It's not a reasonable judgment of what it's right to feel like my kids need to value clean stainless steel the same way I do. And it's not injustice that I have to clean the refrigerator. Inconvenience and injustice are not the same thing. See, our anger goes wrong when our image of justice means things have to go our way. And we'll personally take it upon ourselves to set them right. See, wrath is selfish that way. And it leads to being angry uh, at the wrong things. It leads to being angry for the, to the wrong extent. And it leads to being angry for the wrong amount of time. So when we put ourselves at the center of the definition of justice, when it gets really narrow like that, anger at the wrong things, anger to the wrong extent, anger for the wrong amount of times. Our anger goes wrong when we're angry at the wrong things. Often this is like us being angry at an intermediary. When we blow up at the customer service rep on the phone because they can't fix our insurance claim. When we lash out at a coworker who's made a mistake because you know it's going to lead to your boss lashing out at you. It could be reprimanding the child that's closest to you for making a small mistake even though your frustration is pent up because of a bad interaction with another child. By the way, I usually say, you know, these are all hypothetical. That one's me, guys. The sense of justice becomes so internalized that we somehow feel validated in letting anyone and everyone feel our wrath. Or maybe worst of all, we shake our fist at God because of the circumstances people around us are creating. 
In these cases, we usually have some wrong idea of what we deserve or the sort of treatment that's due to us, and so we get angry at the wrong things. We can also get angry to the wrong extent. In some medieval writings, uh, the word ira is used for anger that's uh, pointed in the right direction or rightly expressed, but furor or fury is used to describe uh, irrational or disproportionate anger. You may have a legitimate grievous, grievance, but, but you may deal with it in destructive ways. Ever seen somebody just, just demean someone on social media because their opinion is different and they made it known? You ever been that person? Ever become aware of injustice in the world and then you just go after anybody who doesn't see it the same way as you rather than trying to bring hope and healing into the world? There are about a dozen scriptures, most of them in the Proverbs, that give guidance on anger. None of them deal with the object of anger. They deal with how we express anger rightly. Proverbs 29, 11 to me is the quintessential one. A fool gives full vent to their anger while the wise holds it in check. Otherwise, the holy emotion becomes the harmful vice of wrath. We can get angry at the wrong things. We can get angry to the wrong extent. But we can also get angry for the wrong amount of time. And I think this one actually tears at the fabric of love more than the other two. Because this one stands in the way of reconciliation with resentment. This is anger that says, I don't want to talk about it, even though we do. Or I'm fine, even when I'm not. One author says, when resentment smolders beneath the surface, we go through our day like a snake, poised to strike at the first sign of movement. We become quick-tempered, and our anger at the present moment swells to the size of the whole of history of harm done to us. Our anger might start with something legitimately wrong, but when we place our ideas, our comfort, our way at the center of the definition of justice, it'll likely lead to some combination of being angry at the wrong things to the wrong extent or for the wrong amount of time. I'm not angry at my kids, guys. They're kids. I'm angry because things aren't the way I want them to be and people around me aren't valuing what I value. It's all about my definition of justice. And they become a place to deposit the anger that comes from my lack of control. This is why James says in chapter 1, verse 20, our anger doesn't produce God's righteousness. Because if we're at the center, we won't do much with God's heart at all. That's why Paul, in Galatians and Colossians, he he adds anger to his list of sins because he knows where it's going to take us most often. Because anger gone wrong is what makes wrath feel like the vice that we deserve. When we put ourselves at the center of our ideas, it's like we deserve this. It's also, in the words of Beekner, the most fun vice. We've been wronged, we see wrong, and we get to be justice to whatever extent that we see fit. Anger gone wrong has us playing God, and we're really bad at it. A few months back, uh, I've been telling you guys I turned 40 in in the fall, and so a few months back, I asked a few folks who are a little further down the road than me uh, a a question. Uh, Mostly men in their 50s and 60s. uh, Asked them a question, if you today, in in your 60s, could sit across the table from yourself at 40, what advice would you give yourself? 
I was looking for guidance on how to kind of live my next decade and, and beyond. I heard some, some point early in my adult life, if you uh, uh, want to grow as a person, as a husband, as a father, as a leader, uh, look at people who are where you want to be and ask them for a few minutes of their time and ask them how they got there. And uh, I've found that to be really sound advice, and I'm always amazed at how gracious people are to give you their time when you ask. And so I found that to be really true, and I was humbled that multiple people uh, who I deeply respect took the time to answer those questions in uh, really in-depth ways. One said, uh, uh, to, this is the one that's really, one that's really stuck with me, uh, take risks, but don't take stupid risks. Uh, that one, I'm like, oh man, that's uh, something that I should probably <laughs> pay attention to. Uh, uh, you know, go, be bold, be courageous as the scriptures call you to, uh, but don't be stupid <laughs> about it, right? Um, one said, be great with God and be great with people. That's it. Everything else will fall into place. Be great with God, be great with people. But every one of them, when, when I asked... Uh, if you could sit across from yourself at age 40, what advice would you give yourself? Every single one of them gave some version of don't let anger get the best of you. My father-in-law, who's probably the, the best picture of Jesus I have in, in my life, he's an incredible man, and, and he said this thing for as long as I've known him. He, he wrote, first of all, don't sweat the little things, and almost everything is little. Some things aren't. Loving God, loving others, those aren't little. Each one of them, when giving wisdom that they've learned, said anger is something that you should pay attention to and you should have it fall in line with the heart of God. And if you don't, it can lead to all kinds of headache and trouble for you and the people around you. So the question is, if we want our anger to fall in line with the heart of God, if turning the emotion off isn't uh, the right thing to do, but we want our anger to fall in line with the heart of God, what does God get angry about? We should dig into that. What does God get angry about? And what does he do with his anger? Because again, this is a series about reflecting the image of God for the sake of others in our world. And you can trace this all the way from the giving of the law in the Old Testament, through the prophets, through the coming of Jesus, and even into the church. When God's people give themselves, one, to idolatry, and two, to lack of mercy, God is angered by it. God gets angry. When people disobey his command to love God above all. So don't build your life on anything else. Don't build your life on money or power or success or status or family. Don't let anything else be your God. When people disobey his command to love God above all else and love your neighbor as yourself, we arouse God's anger. Let me say it a different way because this is the way that actually hits me in the heart. When my self-love edges out my love for God, and my love for the people he's given me to care for, I can expect the God of love and justice to be angry about it. And before I lose you, and I, this is really important, I don't know how you walk in today, your idea of who God is, but let me just say, God is not angry at you. He loves you and he wants what's best for you. Jesus came not to pay you back, but to win you back. And so I know I'm threading a needle here, and so let's look at the scriptures to see uh, what God does uh, with his anger, uh, what he gets angry about, and what he does with his anger. If, you, if it's in your bulletin, Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, you can open it up. If you have an app, uh, you can open that up as well. This is Mark chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. 
Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed by their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus shows up on the most important day of the week, at the most important gathering of the week, and he disrupts everything. And the conversation between Jesus and people at church, essentially, centers on the Sabbath. What you can do and what you can't do on a day dedicated to resting and connecting with God. But beneath the topic of conversation at its core, this is about the great commandment. This is about loving God and loving people. The Gospel of Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. It's my favorite of the Gospels. I feel like it's, it's to the point, it's direct, and you get the heart, the real heart of the Gospel. Um, but Mark is a get-to-the-point Gospel writer. He doesn't waste words. It's the shortest Gospel. But he spends an entire verse here describing Jesus' feelings. And Jesus was angry. It says he looked around at them in anger, deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. What's he angry about? Well, he's angry at people's lack of love for the man with the unusable hand who would have been pushed to the side because of his disability. Jesus says to the guy, stand up in front of everyone. Don't live as an outsider anymore because in that time, that disability would have led to the belief that that man was a sinner and he didn't deserve to be in community. That was the going idea of the day. See, the people gathered there had completely forgotten that God's kingdom is about restoration, not ceremony. And Jesus is angry because he loves the man with the shriveled hand. He says what is happening is unjust and needs to be fixed. The outsider made in the image of God, he loves him. Jesus loves this man and the church people didn't. Or at least they didn't love him as much as they loved their idea of right and wrong their comfort at how they lived, their way of doing things. They didn't love him as much as they loved self. And it resulted in injustice against a man. But Jesus isn't just angry because he loves the man. He's angry because he loves the church people too. Mark says Jesus is grieved at their hardness of heart that they wouldn't let love for others take center stage and be the main idea and the main outcome of their worship that they'd let injustice happen. So that's what he's angry about, not loving God enough to love others. So what does Jesus do with his anger? That's what he's angry about, but what does he do with his anger? He lets it take him to the right place. Jim Keller, in a message last year, I loved this. He said, anger is a good transition emotion to terrible destination. Jesus' anger moves him. It takes him somewhere. But Jesus didn't lash out with words. He didn't retaliate or do harm. He doesn't let his anger turn to wrath. He also doesn't back down. He simply loves. He comes to center stage and he loves. He counters their stubborn refusal to do justice and love mercy with a picture of God's love and mercy. Jesus is angry at the right thing and to the right extent and it moves him to the right action. See, anger, when it's 
a holy emotion, has justice as its object and love as its root. Anger, when it's a holy emotion, has justice as its object and love as its root. That's what we see in Jesus. It takes no intellect or goodness or, or, or goodness of soul, no, no pursuit of holiness to just start swinging words and fists to hurt those who hurt others. Martin Luther King Jr., hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. And when we experience wrong and we see wrong, we should first seek the God of justice before we seek to bring justice. We should seek the God of justice before we seek to bring justice. And that's why I feel like at any given moment, in any given circumstance, if we can't echo the words of Romans 12, echo the words of Paul, in light of God's mercy, in view of his mercy, I'm going to present myself in this moment as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord, because this is my appropriate worship response. If we can't say that, it's possible we have too narrow a view of justice and we've forgotten about grace completely. And the natural result of a narrow view of justice is the holy emotion of anger becomes the harmful passion of wrath. And it may be that what we're mad about and to the extent that we're mad about it actually keeps us from the type of anger that is God-honoring. If your life is spent angry at people on Twitter or angry at politicians who have a different view than you or angry at the person who cuts you off in traffic or angry at the line being too long at Publix or angry that the internet is down or angry at the dirty stainless steel, you'll almost certainly be angry at the wrong things and miss being angry about injustice. And it's very possible that when we're angry at these types of things, we'll act long before we think. See, often the thing we leave undone, that's the title of this series, right? What we leave undone in anger is time to reflect. We often don't take the time to reflect on whether or not what we're mad about and to the extent that we're mad about it isn't even in line with the heart of God, in line with reflecting his character for others. So what do I do with my anger? What do I do with it? What am I actually supposed to do with my anger? Because that's Jesus, and I know that's a good picture, but I fall short of that. What am I supposed to do with my anger if I want it to be in line with the character of God? If I don't want my anger to go wrong, what do I do? Psalm 4 holds the answer, and it isn't don't get angry. Turning off the emotion, saying passion should be eliminated altogether, that isn't the answer. That's the fast way to emotional detachment. And it isn't a reflection of Jesus in the world. So it's not turn off the emotion. Psalm 4 says, In your anger, do not sin. When you're in your beds, search your hearts and be silent. A lot of us maybe have heard that first part. In your anger, do not sin. It's like, okay, that's a mandate. Got it. I'll go try to do that. But the answer for how is right after that. When you're in your bed, search your hearts and be silent. It says, take time to reflect. When you get to the end of the day, when things are quiet, search your heart, reflect. It may be that when we read Mark 3 and we see how people treated the man with the shriveled hand or we hear those statistics that I was uh, talking through earlier, it might be easy for us to see that injustice and be like, that's injustice, of course. That's where people are lacking love. But where are we people that lack love? 
Where are we people who don't allow our love for God translate into love for others? Where do we feel satisfied staying angry? But don't let that motivate us to restored relationship with others. Guys, my hope is that this matters for Monday, not just Sunday. So here's my suggestion. To follow Jesus, to take the advice of Psalm 4 and avoid wrath. Here's my suggestion. For one week, keep a journal or a note on your phone and record every time you're angry and what you're angry about. If you find that you have to write a paragraph uh, justifying why you're angry about a certain thing, it's possible you're tiptoeing into wrath. So do that for an entire week and then put the journal or the note away for a week. So do it for a week, then put it away for a week. Don't evaluate anything. And then come back to it. Look and see if there are things that you were too angry about in the moment. Look and see if you were angry at the wrong things or at the wrong person. See if there are things that you're still angry about and it's just been too long, where resentment is getting a hold on you. See, most of us have no idea what to do with our anger in the moment because we aren't Jesus. We need time to reflect. And over time, as we do this, we'll understand our motivations and even our own character a little better. We'll identify trajectories towards wrath more quickly and hopefully choose a better way. I started doing this a few days ago because I didn't want to ask you to do anything that I'm not doing. And uh, a couple of things. One, I was, I'm really embarrassed about the things that I get angry about. I don't, wouldn't want to put them up on the screen, to be honest. Um, but two, and this has been so helpful, there's something that happens in changing the rhythm, just writing it down. There's an accountability to that that actually has me thinking, can I, can I slow down enough before I even get to the point of anger about some of these things where I have no chance of heading toward wrath? See, I want to be angry about the things Jesus is angry about. And I want that to lead me to love as he loved. Because here's what's at stake. Ultimately, anger leads to wrath. Anger that leads to wrath separates us from those we should embrace and should cherish. Right? We're made in the image of God, but so is every single person that we come in contact with and every single person that makes us angry. When we start by putting ourselves at the center of the equation of of, of justice, loving our ideas, our comfort, our way, to the point where we call our ideas, our comfort, our ways, justice, and anything counter to that is injustice, and say, because of my definition of justice, I have a right to revenge and spite, that is anger getting the best of us. And it hurts us, and it hurts others. And it may feel like momentary relief. We might be able to release some of the anger, some of the frustration, some of the, some of the uh, challenge. It may feel like momentary Relief, but it's not wise. Because wrath moves us away from people we could spend eternity with. And it doesn't bring a picture of kingdom here and now. And this has impacts for us as we walk outside of these doors. It has impacts for us as we walk out of the front doors of our homes. But it also has impacts as we walk into the front doors of our home. Remember, the call to love God and love people... Love God above all else. Love your neighbor as yourself. doesn't start when you walk out of your front door. It starts when you walk in it. So the message isn't don't be angry. The message is be angry about the right things. And to the right extent and for the right amount of time. 
So what do you do with the mad you feel? First, take time to reflect. Is my anger in line with who God is and who he's called me to be? If it isn't, say sorry and move on. Don't be so overcome by the small things that you miss the important things you're supposed to fight for. That's one. Take time to reflect. Second, if your anger is in line with who God is and who he's called you to be, give it a job. But the job shouldn't be wrath. It shouldn't be justice perverted to revenge and spite. It should be love for God and love for people. We're wired for justice. So we shouldn't settle for giving anger the job of wrath. And as we do this, this won't be natural. It'll be an unnatural thing. It'll be a supernatural thing to reflect on our anger, to have it fall in line with God's character, to not give ourselves to wrath, but to give our anger the job of loving God and loving others. It's going to be hard, and it's going to take a supernatural intervention. And so let's invite Jesus into this process this week. God, thank you for uh, your word. Thank you for your challenge. Thank you for the reminder that you are a God who is angry about the right things. You're angry when there's injustice in the world, when people aren't loved as they should be, when they aren't cheered on and cared for as they should be. God, I want to be angry about the things you're angry about. Help us be angry about the things that you are angry about and help that anger motivate us to love and good deeds, not to wrath, not to revenge and spite. God, we can't do this on our own. We need you, Jesus. So we ask you to transform our hearts along the way. As we engage in this exercise of writing down where we get angry, I pray that you would be in it and that we would see your character through it. Help us reflect on where we're angry and what we're angry about so that our anger can fall in line with your character. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.